everybody. Welcome to another episode of All Day Radio. I'm your host, Tamara Day. And today we have an amazing guest for our series on breast implant illness called Bigger Than Boobs. And I am so just honored to be able to share this woman's testimony with you guys. You have no idea what a blessing this has been for me to get to know her as well as I'm sure what she is going to tell you guys is going to change the way that you view this entire, not just illness, but this industry and the way we look at ourselves as women and the way we look at our health and how our society is set up to keep us from being able to know that truth. So she has been an amazing light in my life in just a short amount of time. With no further ado, we have our amazing guest, Laura Gustafson Bowden. It's a long name, but we love her. Welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much for having me, honey. This this means a lot. This is going to be that, incredible. That you have this kind of platform for women is just, uh, it's in a beautiful thing. Thank you. So I wanted to start first because I don't think people will believe who you are, who you are to me and how this amazing connection came about. So I'm going to give them a little tidbit on how Laura basically reached out to me. She slid in my DMs and that's a term that young people use in case you didn't know if anyone ever tells you that they slid in a DM. It's usually someone trying to date you. But this was the most (laughs) amazing DM slide I ever had because I was really teetering on the fence of starting this podcast. And I kept feeling like I don't have enough, you know, professional stuff to make it happen. Or because of this time that we're in, I lost the studio that I wanted to record it in. And how am I going to go record these women? And I just, I was in this place where I wanted to do it the way that in my mind it was pictured. And then this woman just writes me this message like, I don't even remember what it exactly said, but it was something along the lines of you're it, you're the one we need to talk. And I was just like, who is this lady? And I said, message me. And she was in my messages like a few minutes later and we started talking and I find out that Laura is the woman that essentially was the reason I am here today. Why I got the message that I needed to get my breast implants out because her video that was recorded in an interview with Oprah, I believe almost 30 years ago or right about 30 30 years years ago, ago. you guys, 30 years ago, I would say as long as I'm alive, but I am a little older than that. But literally she did an amazing episode on there where women were able to confront Dow Corning, which is a manufacturer of implants. And we're going to get into that, but this little clip that was played on the internet that I came across, I saw her so impassioned and emboldened and and speaking from the heart and her just authenticity and what you were saying to him and the things you were saying were so critical to me going, if this woman was having these issues and had all these women around her, prior to social media, to anyone ever being able to connect in that way, to hear about other people's stories, you did it from a grassroots, just reach out method of, you know, desperate measures, who, who's out there and you guys band together and went against him. And it just showed me how much a power there is in, in using your voice, but also what we're up against, because I was able to hear from the other side. And I went, if they're denying it 30 years ago, it's no wonder they're still denying it now. And I need, 
I need to, to get them out for that sake. And that took me on this wild journey. But tell them about how that came about with you becoming an advocate in a time when we didn't have a way to, to connect in that method and, and how you decided, like, I need other women to know about this as well. There's got to be more out there. Well, I'll keep this as close into a nutshell as I possibly can. Um, you know, just a little brief uh, information about me. Uh, 26 years old, three babies, nurse them, uh, spur of the moment, get the ear put back in them. Husband totally against it. No, don't yeah. want you to do it. I say, come with me to the doctor. We'll question, you know, they're safe. They're gonna, they're, mm-hmm. they're safe. Went, doctor, you, you know. They last a lifetime. And remember, this is 30 years ago. We the have a little same bit more. spiel. I don't think they've changed that it hasn't changed. lifetime oh safe device. Yeah, quota safe device. Right there. <laughs> I get them um, totally healthy, works out all the time. Um, and within four months, within four months, uh, fatigue to the point that all I wanted to do was sleep, dry eyes, muscle twitches, uh, memory loss, severe memory loss, uh, brain fog. Were they telling you at that time that it was probably just like postpartum or something or something would, to do? With- uh, no, I was 26. My baby at that point, he was one. So okay. I didn't have like baby. My kids were um, five, three and one. Mm-hmm. So actually eight, three and one. Um, and just every doctor, you know, same old story. It's, you know, it's just a different chapter 30 years later to the everything that we're hearing the same thing. Did they run and all I, your tests and blood everything. work and... Yeah. You're um, fine. You, you're so healthy. Yeah, how's your marriage? Um, you're suffering from depression. Well, you do have little kids, you know. Um, I went to a psychiatrist mm-hmm. who just said, you know, all very nice things about me. Like, yeah, she's not crazy, you know. So every doctor you can imagine. And finally, I decided the only difference in my life is that I got breast implants. Mm-hmm. So I decided to go back to my plastic surgeon because he would tell me the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember because I was taking six Motrin 800s a day just to get through the day. And I remember I didn't want to take anything because I wanted to feel everything. And I very calmly, I was not hysterical. I went and I just told my surgeon, I said, I am very sick. And I said, if it's my breast implants, please let me know. And he tapped me on the knee and said, now, now, there's no scientific data to this day to show that's why you're sick. But if it would make you feel better, I'll take them out in the office under a local. I said, get them out of me. Get them out of me. I made the appointment. And I was one week away from this man doing that. And I was sitting at my grandma's in her apartment and Jenny Jones. And I know they get this young generation probably don't know. know who Jenny We're going to put up a little clip of Jenny Jones okay. so they all Jenny know where we, we watched. <laughs> Jenny Jones is kind of, without being disrespectful, is kind of like the generic Oprah at the mm-hmm. time. And there she was on TV talking about her breast implants and all those symptoms were me. And the light bulb went off and there was a little support group that scrolled at the bottom. And I wrote down the name. And that night I called a woman from the support group. Her name was Vicki and she saved my life. So Jenny Jones was, was she actually saying that hers were causing that? And she was open about it. She had seven different sets because she was very private. She's a public figure. So do you know anything about about where she's at now? Health wise, did she get them out? Oh, she had gotten them out. Yeah. I had actually been on the show three times. Okay. On her show three times. Wow. Um, I'll, I'll fill you in on that. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Too. <laughs> so um, I, this woman at the time, um, she's, we talked till two in the morning and she said, there's only specific doctors that know about it. Back then it was called silicone adjuvant breast disease. Mm-hmm. It was not called um, breast implant illness. And interesting so, back then they would refer to it as a disease, whereas now it's 
an illness Mm -hmm. and oh that's that's has a lot less of a stigma around it now so I wonder where that let's dig into that one later but that is a that's a really good point Mm -hmm. and uh so that became my journey and I was actually um, Dr. Fang in Ohio. If we're all familiar with Dr. Fang, mm-hmm. she was one of the surgeons that was doing explants. And um, she was so booked out far for me. She was booked out two months and I just yeah. felt like I was dying. Um, and that's pretty much the overwhelming feeling that you're going to mm-hmm. die. You feel like you're going to die. I can say are- across the board, every woman I've talked to, interviewed, you can't explain it to someone unless they've experienced but it's that your whole body's just shutting down and you don't know what it is. And no. you, you feel like you're on the verge of death. Yeah. On the verge of death. Yeah. So that was not an option for me at the time. And then I found out about a neurologist in Texas that was doing a study on women. And we borrowed $10,000 from my husband, 401k. And I live in Illinois and we got on a plane and I'll never forget because I couldn't take any of the ibuprofen. Yeah. I remember never forget the fear, because anxiety is part of this too, a fear, such a fear. And the closer you get to getting help, that fear escalates. Isn't that wild? And and I have watched as, and you you can probably witness it in the group, like when you're watching women talk about being so close to the surgery date, it's like everything accelerates and not just your mental state of where you're at. I think it's that the nerves and the anxiety of the need and the knowing they're going to come out and the knowing you need to almost all the symptoms get exacerbated. And I don't know if that's this like metaphysical connection, but it's as if like you deteriorate that much faster when you know you're going to get them out. You know, I think you're in fight or flight mode. Yeah. And then once you realize there's an end, your body, you just all of a sudden. That's true. The level is like, yeah. And just everything heightens. Mm, so, um, so I had that feeling. And I remember telling my husband, I'm like, what if this isn't it? That doubt. And he said, honey, yeah. this is exactly where you need to go. So we got on a plane and it was at that time I walked into that office and in front of me was the symptom sheet. And anybody that actually now being an advocate, that is like a Bible to me. Yeah. Having that symptom sheet in front of me gave me validation that I was in the right split place. This was the doctor in... The neurologist. The neurologist. I went to a neurologist Mm -hmm. um, to be part of his study. He was doing a study on 2000 women. And I was part of that study, Mm -hmm. which meant I had to be in the hospital for two weeks. Little did I know when I got there, there were three floors of sick women. Because I also know the story of this doctor that you told me, which... Yeah, I uh, go into that. Yeah. Um, so for two weeks, uh, test after test, and and it's kind of funny, but it wasn't funny to Dr. Panton. His name was Dr. Panton. When I realized all these women were there with all the same symptoms, I decided I was going to pull them all together in one room, yeah. which was kind of frowned upon because everybody was getting different tests depending on their symptoms, depending on their length of implants, on um, what were ruptured, not ruptured. How was he able to find them, these women? Like, how was his reach out process? Oh, that is a really good question. Because I know he was part of the original study with the, I think it was the manufacturer or with the plastic surgeon that was working with the manufacturer. Remember when I read the article that he wrote that said he was tracking all the, the wives of these doctors or the wives of the manufacturers. It was whoever was doing the surgeries, they were testing them on their wives and then he would track their progress. And then when he came back with the evidence, right, that was when it all yeah. Started going yep. downhill for yes. him, but yes. Yeah. So he, um, so he did, he was doing all this study. So I had all these nerve tests done and just, you know, a series of tests. 
And so we pulled all these women together. We all realized that we were not crazy. These women had been ruptured after ruptured and just told, you know, it's something they did to them. Mm-hmm. So pull them all together. So I, we, I developed a relationship with these, all these women and um, it's time for my surgery. And we thought um, they thought I had two silent ruptures. So I'm going in and I'm like, cause these women, some had silicone in their brains, their liver and their kidney. Some I knew at the time were never going to get better. They were all yeah. older than me. Um, so it's time for my surgery. I have my surgery. And by the grace of God, they were not ruptured. And within 24 hours, it was like the cloud left my brain. That's a huge point that we talk about often is like you mentioned the one side, which is women that might not ever get better because that silicone has poisoned and traveled to so many parts of their bodies, which is a an absolute thing that happens. And even now with the implants they have, like it does still travel. It may, it may not be as invasive as the old silicone was that you probably had women experience, but it still travels. And then the other aspect of it is people like you and I, that people say, if they're not leaked or ruptured, you're going to, you're fine. And we're clearly the walking, talking, living, breathing evidence. And you guys are the evidence and testimony and research that was never done. You guys are the guinea pig research. We are the study. We are the science. Mm -hmm. We are the science. So when Dr. Panton came in that day and I remember it like it was yesterday, he said, how do I feel so much better? And he said, you are one of the lucky ones. You were young. They were not ruptured and you were healthy. It was like taking the logs off the fire. Mm -hmm. We removed the logs Mm -hmm. and your immune system settled down. So at this point, I realized the the, the magnitude of what was happening. And um, I decided that I was going to come back to Illinois and I was going to be a voice. And so I had to say bye to these women that I knew were never going to get better. Mm-hmm. So I went to, um, I went to all the rooms and I promised them that uh, I would be their voice, that I would come back and I would be their voice. So my husband and I started a support group and back then we didn't have social media. So how right. do you do that? You put a little article in the newspaper and um, I had I brought with um, studies that Dr. Uh, Patton had had. So I had, all, you know, all this information with me and just women came from underground to the point that um, we actually had to have our support groups at DePaul University in Chicago because they were getting so large and we couldn't keep up with making um, the copies and copies and copies of information. The women, they just so we would literally take bins every month and show up. And it was just, they couldn't get enough information. And at the same time, I started to go to conferences for doctors that were willing to say this was Mm -hmm. really going on. So that would give me more information to share in the groups. So it took a life of its own. Um, The Oprah show found out that I, that we had a support group, which which was called breast implant, breast implant information exchange. Okay. And we had newsletters Mm -hmm. and everything was done by mail. Mm -hmm. So um, they had called and asked if, our support group would be willing to be in the audience with Dow Corning, the CEO for Dow Corning on the mm-hmm. stage with another couple who's um, he was the head of the ethics committee and his, mm-hmm. his wife got sick. And I mean, I was honored. I was like, what a platform. Yeah. I mean, back then, you know, so, so we did. So when you see the episode of Oprah, I think it's mm-hmm. really important um, to speak at this point. It had yeah. been a good year or two that I've been hearing stories. And um, I had been on the Jenny Jones show mm-hmm. and she had asked me if I could uh, handle the women that were coming in. So she mm-hmm. bought me a fax machine and gave me the booklet with the doctor's names because she couldn't keep up with it mm-hmm. and said, would you, can I direct the women to you wow. to get them to the appropriate? So for two years, I ate and breathed 
trying to save every woman, just like the woman that saved my life. And my kids were little. Mm-hmm. And um, I spoke in Washington with Ralph Nader, any, any news channel, good morning, anybody that would listen, any platform. I was your girl. I, I uh, it's so wild and, and just, it screams what we're experiencing now with censorship and just with the distraction that our culture is in and the misleading of the truth. Like these doctors were willing to talk about this at like conventions you're going to do. It was was on talk shows. Like this information was out there. And yet 30 years later, I think we're more silenced now than you were back then. It's more censored. It's more, um, there's so much propaganda for it that it's, you just, they make us seem like the anomaly. Whereas in your episode with Oprah, people can see that Dow Corning knew this was, you guys existed. They knew the information was there, but their whole take on it was it wasn't enough to make sense taking it off the market. Whereas that rhetoric, that doesn't work on any other factor in in life supposed to be in medicine. Because if you have any kind of, the research coming back says like, this is the percentage of it's off the table. It's not even, it's not a negotiable thing that they're not even going to have it available. And yet there's this whole subsect of women that were on the episode that I'll, I'll play a little and they'll see is that women that were for them that, you know, use that whole excuse of, but you guys decided to do it. And well, they were actually planted. They were planted in the audience. When we did rallies, um, it was the why me organization. Mm -hmm. Um, they, they would follow us around when we did rallies because they felt we were taking their choice away. The mm-hmm. why me? Yeah. The why me? So in the audience, I recognized a lot of those women. Mm-hmm. I kind of knew that we were kind of entering the lion's den a little yeah. bit. Mm-hmm. Um, with that being said, but ironically, as vocal as I am, I said nothing during the whole episode, but I have known and talked to so many women through the years that listening to him lie and lie and lie. So when People see me speak on Oprah. That was not part of the show. The show was over and I had not spoken. And Oprah looked at me and saw I had something to say. And she said, you have something to say, don't you? And I said, I do. And she looked at the cameraman and he did into this to him. So he continued to roll the tape. So the CEO for Dow Corning at that point did not realize the tape was still rolling. And it was at that point that I got up and spoke. And the frustration, even those words, I feel it really, it wasn't even me speaking. It mm-hmm. was the women that I spoke to for yep. so many years that didn't have a voice. That's why you can so, feel it. That's why it hit me I, right here when I saw that clip, because I knew, whereas the other women were so emotionally driven by their own testimonies, which of course, I mean, this is a very emotional thing to go through and a traumatic thing to go through, but you said things as if there were people speaking through you, like you, that's exactly the importance what it was. of what you were saying that it didn't matter. Whatever he was going to say back to you was these words need to be said because yeah. you're planting seed for what you didn't know would be 30 years later, a girl over here that thinks I'm alone in this process that thought I was literally going crazy. You you're, you're in my story. So similar. Remember I, I told you that I, I left my relationship that I, I did love them because I didn't know what was happening to me. I put myself in an apartment that was shitty and it was 
you know, I didn't have my dog and, and he kept him and I had pneumonia and I was like, I'm going to go here to just waste away. And that was my, that was how I was going to go out because I had no other, no other options. And I didn't know it was these at the time. And it wasn't until seeing that video that gave me a light, just any, like a smidgen of light. And you don't even know the seed that you're planting there. And that's why I think it's such not think. I know it's such a divine thing that we were led to each other, that I'm doing this series, that you're on it. Like I can't even, it blows my mind the way God has orchestrated this whole thing, because we've had to go through this for this exact moment in time to be able to tell women, you're not alone in this. You're absolutely not crazy. Yes. We made a decision to put something in our body, but without full consent. And now we get to make a decision to get them out, but we need to have all the information to be able to do that. And it's not there. So we're having to utilize this, not only an intuition that's kind of been stripped of us, because when you put these things on your body, you, you lose that ability to connect with yourself. It's literally like dead energy that's in your body. And you're, you're having, you know what? I want to almost say that it's getting them in was, and getting sick was the absolute biggest blessing for my life because it connected me back to God, which I never, I don't know if I would have done otherwise. And I wouldn't have met amazing women like yourself. And I wouldn't be on this wild journey of putting myself out there to talk about tits all the time, because it's like, how did this happen? But like you said, once you hear the stories, you can't not share them. And I know that you have all those women that you knew weren't going to ever get healthy in your heart and in your soul. And you're like, I have to do this for them. But I know how overwhelming it is to step into that role when you're not even healed yourself. And most of us who are doing this work, quote unquote, haven't fully healed. It's the journey to healing by doing this service that I'm, I'm realizing is part of my journey because I thought, Oh, Tamara, you have to have it more together by the time you do this. You have to feel whole. You have to be physically healed. You have to understand what traumas caused you to want to get them in the first place and what's coming up for you of all these feelings of lack of self-worth and and inadequacy and all these things that come up when you take them out if you hadn't dealt with them before, like myself. And you deal with them now, you deal with them now and you deal with it while you're doing it. And that's what it's empowered me to do. And that's what the first conversation I had with you, I was in tears for most of the three hour conversation, because I realized that you gave me that confidence to say, you can do this without being fully healed. I mean, what is being fully healed? Like we heal each other through this process. Like that's Mm -hmm. the most beautiful thing about it is every conversation I have with you, every conversation I have with a woman who's gone through this is like another layer that's been softened and healed. And, Mm -hmm. and, you know, if it takes a lifetime to get this point across to women, like I'm in it for the long haul. And I remember you saying like, I'm passing the torch. I'm not ready for years to go away yet because we need you. Like your voice is so powerful in this movement because what our generation and those even younger than me who are getting them now have no idea is how long this fight has been going on for. And I want you to share a little bit about what happened with the doctor 
in Texas who their neurologist who is doing the study because for those of you listening if you don't already know if you haven't gone down the rabbit hole if this is all a new world for you welcome um when you start digging into the research that is behind silicone implants saline any kind of the implant industry as a whole um you're going to find some things that really surprise you in terms of the powers that be and who wants who who doesn't want particular information to get out. And when I went down the rabbit hole, um, deciding to get them out, the stuff I uncovered, I was flabbergasted that this information wasn't known to the public. And then when Laura sent me the information on her neurologist that helped her, um, do the study with those 2000 women, uh, what transpired after that was my aha, this is going to be a big battle moment. Um, so at the time, so good segue in, into that. Um, actually, it brings me a little bit forward because I didn't find out the extent of what happened to him until exactly. I went to the FDA. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's back up a little bit and then we'll move to how yeah. I am, where I got to where I was am today. So for two years, Eight and Breathe just was going to save every woman. And it, I got to a point where I just couldn't do it anymore. Um, it was consuming my life. My kids were little. Yeah. And um, I'm almost, it makes me sad. I'm almost embarrassed to say I needed to walk away. I needed to walk away because um, I had gotten my health back and I just two years of fighting and every, every fire that we started Dow would put out. And not that I, not that we gave up, but I realized it was time for me to get my life back and raise my babies. And, and I don't know how this happened, but it went under the radar for 28 years it went under the radar and I raised my children. I was healthy and I went on with my life. And two years ago, a woman walks into my CrossFit gym named Latasha Marzola. And uh, she's an MMA fighter, was training for a fight. She's a former playmate and she's training and I could see it in her eyes. Mm-hmm. And I, and I said, Oh my goodness, she's sick from her breast implants. And I thought, how after is this 28 years after 28 years, just her walking in and you knowing it was like that. And that was that. And I thought thousands of women are still sick. So I started a journey with her. We, um, you know, we did a a documentary together. Mm -hmm. That's a whole other story. And that was when I realized that, um, and it was right after she was explanted. Um, do you want me to say how I met Dr. Pryor and then I'll move up to the FDA and the neurologist? Yeah, A little bit on Um, that. And then, cause they know we're going to bring him in too. Okay. A little bit on that. So I had, um, so now I had started the journey with breast implant illness mm-hmm. and realizing that there was thousands. It was like, it was like going into a time war. Yeah. Talk about surreal, like nothing has changed. The only thing that has changed is we have social media. Yeah. And you so can put faces to names stop. and you can see the, yeah. the grandiose size of what it is. Of what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is, I did comment um, on your Instagram. One of my things was you keep using your voice and hopefully you're going to be able to save the third generation. Mm-hmm. That's what I had said to you in that message. Mm-hmm. When and I that's what hit me because I knew, you know, for me, and I, I had told you this when we, when we spoke, like, I've always known in my life that I was meant to change generational traumas being um, that my grandparents were Holocaust survivors and they raised me. And I always felt like that impacted me greatly. I never knew it was going to be on this particular journey. But when you said that I was going to 
do that for the next generation. I knew there was no doubt in my mind why you were put into my path at the time that you were. And this, this whole process for many of us women that step into it, we watch as like divine coordinations happen between us because there's, this is a, something that's working greatly against us. So we need numbers in it. We need to know that we're not alone in this process. So he plants people like you had Latasha and that let the fire again for you to look into why women were still out there. And I'm sure you were probably thinking like, where did this study go that he was doing and why didn't all these, you know, journals come out about it or why didn't papers pick it up? Why didn't media? I mean, this is pre even internet. So you have to think like you would think it'd be on major networks, like taking down the industry and yet silence, crickets, silence, crickets, Crickets, because you at least had two major talk shows bringing up that um, topic and then nothing. Nothing. It never, it never came back on my radar until two years ago. So I had um, a friend of mine, Rachel was doing a, uh, a documentary with 20, probably 20 sick or recovered um, BII survivors. Mm-hmm. And uh, she reached out to all these doctors um, in the area in Illinois to, to come and speak with us. And not one showed up, not one, but Dr. Pryor. Classic so I realized Plastic surgeons. Yeah. Yes. I'm sorry. Plastic surgeons yeah. to come and talk. Okay. And uh, nobody showed up at Dr. Pryor. And I knew when I met him, if I were to ever come back out and advocate, he would be the doctor that I would do this with. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about his raw honesty and the fact that he had the kahunas mm-hmm. to enter the lion's den and the way he carried himself. So five months ago, I um, contacted him and uh, said I wanted to advocate again. But get back to the study kind of sidetrack mm-hmm. here. Um, then I had found out that there was um, 80 women going to the FDA to speak in front of the FDA for full disclosure, for doctors to get full disclosure, black box warning mm-hmm. on implants and um, banning the textured implants. And I decided I was going to Washington with them. I want to say really yeah. quickly to those who are new to this world, because I we're so in it that it's hard for us to kind of realize there's like basic information that some people are so, yeah. so in the dark about. There's a few types of implants. There's saline, which is the the silicone bag that houses um, saline water and it's filled while it's in somebody. And then there's a few types of silicone, most are like cohesive gel or like a gummy bear. And then there's this other type that has a texture on the outside, which is the kind that I had, which is a whole other story about why those should never have been on the market, but they were sold as the next greatest, best thing. And um they're not. So when people say like, you chose to put them in your body, you know, that they're not, you know, safe and everything. That is not what is told to us um, by professionals that you're supposed to trust in the medical field. um, You're told that they are lifetime safe devices that, you know, if anything happens to them, they'll replace or whatever, but they don't tell you any kind of um, repercussions that could happen in your body uh, from it. And not to mention, uh, you never even know what's in them like you would in any food you eat or in anything. And this is something permanently put into your body. Um, You don't see it 
until you're under the knife, AKA you don't see it at all because you're asleep. So you guys went to the FDA to attempt to change a law that, um, allowed women to see the, it's called a black box warning, right? Or having a black box. It's the next, it's the closest step to having them actually banned. So, um, Yes, it's a step. And um, I felt I needed to be there to support these women. Mm-hmm. And there were many women that were going to speak. And I had chose not to speak there because everybody knew me in the BII community is the Oprah Laura. And I didn't want it to be the Oprah Laura show. Mm-hmm. I wanted, there's been women that have been advo- advocating for years right. when I was living my life. So, you know, every once in a while I feel, I, and I know my part in this. Um, but we have incredible women mm-hmm. underground behind the scenes that are fighting and have been fighting for years. Yeah. So um, it's so humbling for me when I, when I do a platform mm-hmm. like this and everybody knows me more in up front, mm-hmm. but there's just incredible warriors um, right next to me. So I decided I was going to support them, but not speak. Mm-hmm. So the night before I was going to the FDA um, at 1030 at night, a letter falls in my hand on social media in one of the groups. And this girl had posted this letter and said, look what happened to this doctor. And I read it and it was my Dr. Patton goosebumps. I had found out that back in the day, 30 years ago, the study he was doing, somebody broke into his office and put duct tape and crutches on his desk and destroyed all his evidence. And it was a letter that he had written to anybody doing research or a study on breast implant illness that they will destroy you. I'm going to put that letter, actually the link to it um, in this uh, video and in the caption so people can access it. It's so powerful. It's, you can feel his pain in it because as someone who spent his life trying to save these women to have that destroyed you guys, he didn't just have all the records destroyed, which would have obviously helped um, this movement and helped women know about what was going to happen to them, but his own livelihood was destroyed. His whole practice, he was banned from a tenure he had at Baylor University. Um, He, I mean, they defamed his character and they go after you. And his plea, it was so saddening. His plea was that if anyone wants to do this research, don't. That was how aggressive they went after him. And that was when I knew what you were up against that long ago. And the fact that I understand why it puts these women underground. I understand why these stories don't get out there because if they don't want that research to get out there, there's that much money behind it to quiet these stories. There's that much power that you can get a tenure professor, a neurologist whose all its only work has been to study the effects of silicone and of just a foreign entity in the body and what it, what was happening with these women, just the science. They wanted mm-hmm. to shut that up. And yeah. it just, it, it emboldened me also to go for however long I have this platform for, for however long they keep me going in this. And before they shut it, down, I'm speaking on it. I'm telling anyone's story. I'm, I'm putting everything out there and, you know, people can say all they want. Like it's just tits. It's just boobs. Like what does not that important. We're talking about an entire industry poised around keeping women sick 
and what that does for a generation, for a society, what happens to the next generation, what happens to when you keep them sick, what they'll need to take to keep them sick. I mean, to keep them feeling just a little bit better. And this cycle is there to literally control us. And we're seeing it happen at stammering rates now. And I think that's why it's, it's so important that these stories get told because the evidence people need, the research people need to say, but the science isn't there, but, but why isn't it being talked about? But it could have been. That's the reason Can we imagine if this did not happen? This doctor could have changed the history of what we are seeing right now. And after I saw that letter at 1030 at night, I remember going up to my husband and I'm just sobbing, shaking. And I said, look what they did to him. And I said, if anybody should be speaking at that FDA, it should be me. Mm-hmm. So again, um, we, you had all the stories of the women in that study yeah. that you knew. I knew. In vain. Mm-hmm. Their information never got out there. Yeah. Their records never got told. So I said to my husband, I said, I wonder if he is still practicing. And I knew at this point he's like 80. Mm-hmm. So my husband looks the number up and looks him up. And it's 1030 at night, the night before I leave for Washington. And he finds a phone number. And he calls it and it's 1030 at night and a man answers the phone. And my husband says, Dr. Panton. And he said, yes. And he said, hold on. My wife wants to talk to you. And he hands me the phone. <laughs> and I. Are you just waterworks? Sobbing. So, it's He's 1030 like, at night. Right. I'm just like, I'm sobbing. I'm shaking. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm like, my name is Laura Bowden. I said, I was one of your patients. I was part of your study. I said, um, you know, 30 years ago, I was blonde. I was young. Like I thought he would remember me. (laughs) And he actually said, I remember you. And I said, "Um, I'm heading to Washington tomorrow. I said, with a, a bunch of brave, brave women. And I said, and we're trying to make change. I said, we're trying to um, get full disclosure. And he said, that makes me happy. And I said, I'm so sorry what they did to you. And I am just like yeah. <laughs> sobbing. And he said, it's okay. I said, it's not okay. It's not okay. So, um, and then his very sweet voice, because it was really late there, he's in Texas. And he said, can you call me tomorrow? My wife is calling me to bed. And I said, okay. So I was just like, what just happened? So when you see the letter that I wrote to the FDA, I wrote mm-hmm. that at 1230 at night, the night before I went. It had never been submitted. Um, I was not on any list to talk at the FDA. Yeah, and so they I have decided, a protocol, you guys, about how you can approach the bench, if you will. To You have to submit what you're going to say so that they're able to vet what's being said in there. And our lovely Laura and didn't submit it because she knew it wouldn't be accepted. And it needs to it be told. Be. Yeah, so um, after these incredible uh, brave women uh, had spoke, I decided it was time. And I had my paper in hand and the mic was off. And he said, you know, this ends our uh, public speaking. And I walked up to the mic and I lied. And I said, my name is Laura Bowden and I'm on a cancellation list and I would like a chance to speak. And he said, he paused, he turned the mic on. And I said, my name is Laura Bowden. I'm on a cancellation list and I would like the chance to speak. And before he said a word, I put my glasses on because I thought, dude, you are, you're going to have to take me you're off. Gonna hear, yep. <laughs> you're going to hear me. You're going to hear me. And um, I spoke. And um, um, for me, it was it was closure. 
And I know if they did see that a week prior, they would have never have let me speak. My legs were shaking. My heart was pounding. Um, but I knew I wanted them to know that they know who I am. Yeah. They know who I am. So it was probably one of the proudest moments besides having my children. Um, and I turned around and it was literally was a mic drop. I won't say what I said in my head, but you can imagine. And I found out after um, all these women behind me told me that if um, they did not allow me to speak, they were going to get up and surround me. Um, so that, uh, you know, that said a lot. Um, I felt like I was able to at least give Dr. Panton even, yeah, you know, a little bit. So, you know, I find myself, you know, here. And uh, coming back out again, and, and you were able to. They were able to pass the black box. Pass the black box, and um, also we they said that the texture ban. Um, yes, which is so crazy. I actually have uh, someone on. I won't say her name on here, so they don't know. But you know her, and I. I yes. told you we connected. Who had the textured implants as well with me, as me, and I did a lot of research on them, but I had no idea the things she knew about them never supposed they were never supposed to be in the u.s at all they had been banned from like every other country um and it's wild to me how we were able to even get our hands on them and then go through that so they banned them in that same uh and full disclosure and that yes and that plastic surgeons give full disclosure and the texture Um, the reason why those um needed to be off the market for everyone uh, listening is that the texture on the outside is like a coarse nail file almost. And those little uh, pieces of silicone um, are the first things to slough off in the body and they travel throughout your bloodstream and they're just, they get you sicker faster because well, of they, that breakdown. They cause cancer. The, C, yeah. uh, the BIAALCL mm-hmm. um, is cancer of the immune system. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, I mean, they move mountains, the girls that are behind this and um, pushing for legislation and so many brave, brave warriors, um, you know, stand. We all have our we all have a, a piece of this puzzle. And it's um, so amazing to me because, you know, all of us could just get them out and go about back to our lives. And there are there are many who do. And I commend them. And it, and it's amazing because I'm so grateful they get to have their lives back and that they were brave enough to have the surgery. It's the ones that get the calling to do this time and time again, a day after day, battling against who we're battling and the entities that we're battling, knowing that we could just be healthy and live our lives and pretend like that part of our lives never happened but it would be such a detriment to all the women out there suffering in silence. And I know that you and I both carry that weight tremendously. And it's, I do believe why I had to walk that path out. I no longer question why I got them in what I can look at all the whys, you know, in terms of the reasoning in my, my head of what they were going to do for me or, or solve. Right. It was all for this to be able to have this platform to facilitate these conversations because if they're not going to give us a say in mainstream media to be able to get this out, then we need brave voices who are going to talk about this. And it's uncomfortable because we are living through a generation that 
I think the numbers are increasing on who's getting breast implants. Like it is just astronomical growth in this country, especially um, because it's so easy to do them. It's such a cash cow for the doctors. And that's the reason why we have a special treat today because we have a double guest on this show. Um, we have Dr. Pryor, who Laura did mention earlier that she is now aligned with and become a basically a consultant for these women that are going through this process and getting the surgery with Dr. Pryor. And he has graciously offered his time to come talk to us because you guys, this is such um, a unique circumstance where a, a plastic surgeon says they will not do implants anymore. And not just that, be open to talk about the real side of them because it is a very tight knit community, I will say, in terms of the the code of honor, if you will, when you take on the role of plastic surgeon, that they will protect each other for the good of their industry. And when you have someone who's willing to say, I care more about the health of my patients than my pocketbook, it changes the game. And that's why I want to have him on today and why we're going to be talking to him. So we're going to take a really quick break and we're going to call him in and uh get him into this interview. Perfect. Okay. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, but you're going to be here too. So we're not saying goodbye too. to you. <laughs> okay. I'm going to go grab her. Okay. I'll be back. All right. It was really easy to get him because he's right here. <laughs> he's like ear hustling on the door. Like, are they ever going to yeah. stop talking? <laughs> he's like, oh, I got these two girls. I just <laughs> What yeah. did I say? This is so girl time. It was 20 minutes. What, it was like 50. No, that was, yeah. Oh, he, he, I was doing work, but no, that was probably suspect. like 45 minutes. Maybe. That's okay. So that's like when you say you'll be ready in five and it's 45 minutes later. Yeah, it's later. Can you guys get a little closer? Tell me what you want, to sweetheart. Okay, well. How's that? Turn the camera so the picture is in the middle of the frame and then you guys get in the, so Laura moved to your. I don't even know if it's backwards. Your left, your right, towards him. How's that? Yeah, get cozy. Cutter. Yeah. All right, you guys. So now we have the amazing Dr. Pryor in with us. Thank you so much for wanting to be a part of this, for offering your time and your expertise, your knowledge and your wisdom and your bravery in stepping up and speaking about this issue because Ironically, my doctor as well doesn't do implants anymore. And so he's like an implant-free practice. And that's why I think I was so emboldened to um, do this journey was because I saw that domino effect. And I remember that uh, the day I got out of surgery, so I got out, I did my surgery March 18th, 2019. And on March 19th was the first time the New York Times wrote about breast implant illness. And it was like, those names were in there. And my doctor called me up at like 10 AM and he was like, Tamara, I'm all in. Like, I believed you before, but like the fact that the day after I do your surgery and you tell me about all this and I, and I say like, I don't want to do it anymore. It's like this just rolling domino effect of so much like was coming out about it. And it was on TV and he just was like, I have two daughters. I have a wife. Like, I don't want to be, that's not my legacy that I want to leave. And I thought, man, if it just took me being able to 
really tell him what I was going through. And I was so convicted about it. And if he's willing to not do that anymore, there has to be something to this. And there's got to be more doctors out there that can are willing to. And, you know, for me, I see the the money business side of it. You have to make a living too, right? So there is a profitability in taking them out. As we know, it's not a inexpensive surgery to get them out either. And insurance usually doesn't cover it. So I want to be able to dive into like where you made that discernment and that decision to be like, I'm not going to put them in anymore. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. I think it's an important <laughs> That's topic. That's a long introduction. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Because I literally didn't even let you talk for that. Whole That's okay. <laughs> it's your show. So you can talk as much as you want. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I think it's an important topic and it's continuing to uh, evolve, you know, the longer that I'm, I'm doing explants and it's becoming more of a priority and focus of the practice. And so we made the decision, uh, the conscious decision to bring Laura on as a uh, patient advocate for breast implant illness about five months ago, five months ago, although we've had a relationship related to breast implant illness now for probably a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And, um, I don't know if there was one specific turning point um, that um, I realized I needed to pay more attention to, you know, this kind of segment of my practice. Cause I, I do everything I do right. face and breast and body. And we have a, you know, non-surgical medical spa. So there's plenty of work for me to do. It's mm-hmm. not like I, um, like I'm the boobs, to, you weren't the boob man who just, did right. That. I mean, I, I, I've done everything for the time that I've been in practice and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, this, if anything, is a lot of work to really get a good understanding of, of the industry and the needs of the patients and meeting their expectations. Um, so it's it's not that easy to get into, so to speak, as a plastic surgeon. Um, it's also a very technically challenging yes. surgery, and the patients are very knowledgeable and uh, particular and already going into it with a lot of mistrust for, mm-hmm. uh, you know, generally physicians and healthcare and so it, it is, you know, kind of an uphill battle with a lot of these patients to get them to, uh, you know, understand um, what breast implant illness is and why, you know, they may benefit from having their implants taken out. You know, you just mentioned that, um, you know, doctors can still make money taking implants out, you know, compared to putting them in. But, you know, in reality, when patients come in to get implants in, uh, you know, it's a happy surgery. Patients want yeah. breast implants. They're happy they get them in. They leave happy. And, um, you know, it's not always the case with taking implants out. It's, it's, it's a lot more of an involved conversation and a follow-up discussion. And, um, you know, it's, it's almost like doing, a, you know, an oncologic or, you know, a cancer type of surgery because you're helping the patients. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're not always super enthusiastic about, you know, going to surgery. Some there's of them a are. Real, there's that topic and in, in specifically is so important to discuss because, you as a doctor speaking with them prior to uh, getting the surgery, I know the amount of emotions that are coming up for them, the amount of kind of, I call it this like re-traumatization to have to look at what you've done to your body, what you've made a conscious decision to do it. Now, knowing the facts, you have all these like guilt and shame and things that you're, you're dealing with. And I'm sure that's why bringing an advocate on, like Laura, to have them, you know, know there's someone who's gone through it, that you understand it. Because I remember speaking with the eight consultations. So eight surgeons I talked with before finding mine, they were rough. It was a rough conversations because I actually went in 
very non-emotional. I knew exactly what I wanted to get done. I just said, I want them out. And the rhetoric that was used was like almost as if they had this script of like, that doesn't actually cause that. Yeah, yeah. I've heard of it, but it's not, that's not what's going on. Yours aren't leak or ruptured. Let's get you some new ones. Let's make sure that, you know, they're the top of the line. Um, <clears throat> you're not going to be happy with it. You're going to be deformed. I even had someone said, who's going to love you after that. That was a fun one. Yeah. Um, so, you well, know, well, you have you're, all you're right. this it's stuff coming really, at it's you. It's a really difficult conversation. It is. And so I've been doing what I would consider probably high volume uh, explant surgery for probably about, you know, maybe four or five years now, mm-hmm. maybe three to four years. And um, <clears throat> it, it, you know, Laura is, is invaluable to the practice because not only has she been through it, but she's able to connect with those women and, and, you know, it is very time intensive to have those conversations with patients and make sure you set the right expectations mm-hmm. and um, work with them as they kind of go through, like you said, their kind of emotional journey and trauma from, you know, pre-surgery to, you know, completion of the explant and recovery. And so it's, it's really important to have somebody like Laura, you know, at this point with the volume of surgery that I'm doing, I wouldn't be able to support it. Yeah. And, um, you know, from a business standpoint, you really can't support it, but we made a conscious decision that mm-hmm. it's important enough for us to, uh, you know, have a dedicated, you know, uh, person to work with the patients and, you know, we're continuing to focus on it, but to get back to your you know, original question, um, about, you know, doing more explant surgeries, it's just been an evolution. And, um, I, uh, when I started in practice, I was doing a lot of breast cancer reconstructive surgeries. Okay. And I probably uh, did a lot of uh, M-blocks for that particular mm-hmm. reason, M-block capsulectomies and mm-hmm. all types of uh, reconstructive breast surgeries. And For um, those, sorry to interrupt, but for those who don't know what that is, um, in my very non-technical way of saying it is that they do, like when you get them taken out, they do an inframammary scar, which or incision, which goes underneath the breast, open you up and they remove the capsule that forms around the implant and the implant in its entirety and all that needs to be taken out. So I have to reiterate this to people, like anyone who's told to leave the capsules and run for the hills. We need educated doctors out there that do these surgeries. So sorry. To throw that yeah. Out. Thank you. And then, um, like I said, maybe three or four years ago, I started seeing patients that were coming in to see me about, uh, you know, breast implant illness. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, I did a I did a uh, explant on a patient that was already very involved in the breast implant illness community, and I think you know from there she started having me go and, and speak with some of these support groups mm-hmm. locally. I went to a couple support meetings and talked to just a, a roundtable discussion of, of women. It was like at a coffee shop on a Sunday morning, something like this. Just Sounds like talk. our rowdy bunch that we are. <laughs> yeah, just to talk about uh, you know breast implant illness mm-hmm. and explant surgery. And I kind of just took off from there and, uh, you know, just very organically, uh, we started getting more and more patients that were interested in having me do their surgery. I actually had a patient, I didn't, unprompted, unsolicited, had a patient that um, created a Facebook page for me Mm -hmm. for uh, breast implant illness patients to go to as a resource and for women to uh, discuss their concerns, kind of like the the bigger social media platforms that most women are. And so, you know, that, that was kind of what started the, you know, process of me just doing more and more explant surgery. And it was a, you know, a steep learning curve, not technically, because I already knew how to do the surgery and mm-hmm. get, you know, execute it, but yeah. to get 
understanding of how to interact with the patients and have the support system in place to make sure that, um, you know, they're comfortable with the surgery. I think it's amazing that you were going to these support groups because, you know, with, with my doctor, his was like a, absolutely. I understand where your mindset's at because of his wife and because looking at his daughters. But I think like, as maybe the majority of plastic surgeons, maybe, uh, I ask a lot of them, like, what brought you into that field, you know, and, and the idea of um, altering and, and really perfecting one's image is like the idea behind cosmetic surgery is to improve. And thus, like you were saying, to get them out is one of those weird conundrums of you're not necessarily improving someone's appearance, at least by society's standards. And, but you're improving their ability to live and their, and their health and that change of mentality that I personally think is what will drive more yeah. medical professionals know. getting into plastics and their why behind it, because getting back to the roots of where cosmetic surgery, where plastic surgery started from to give someone a better quality of life, a better way of seeing themselves. It's like, we need to get back to that understanding that we're basing it upon a timestamp in history of what is in or what is like yeah. this, this look. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it takes, you know, people like yourself and like the women talking about that, not being what is, um, ideal, but, but well. you guys have to be able to also see it differently of someone leaving your office and not necessarily being aesthetically your your model that you can put on the website of like, did you look at those perky things after? No, they might yeah. be like little flapjacks well, that got a lot of skin on them. Well, you, you know, you, you nailed it with, uh, with something you said there. And, you know, while I think a lot of people think that plastic surgery um, or even cosmetic surgery is about appearance and helping people look better, there's actually a deeper level to that. And so what one of my friends, uh, Steve Diane always says, which is absolutely true you know, we're not in the industry of helping people look better. We, we're in the industry of helping people feel better because that, that's really what, what, mm-hmm. what it's all about. And so that's true whether or not we're improving somebody's appearance for, um, you know, something that's just uh, cosmetic in nature or we're helping pa- patients feel better by taking their implants out. Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's really more about improving their quality of life. You know, that, that's what really drives a lot of, yeah. I think, surgeons into plastic surgery is we're able to improve our patient's quality of life, which is different than, you know, a lot of surgical subspecialties. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, doing explants is consistent with that, that theme, you know, we're helping patients feel better and improving their quality of life. So it's not so different from what you would think of for plastic surgery, because it's still accomplishing the same goal. Maybe because I'm in LA and the people that I've met coming out of med school doing their residency saying we're going into plastics and I'm like, well, what field? And they're like, oh, I just want to do tits. Like, okay, why? That's kind like, of oh, an amateur, it's an amateur mindset. Yeah. Totally. You know, and, and maybe the plastic surgeons that, you know, would say something like that don't even real, realize it themselves. And, um, you know, it mm-hmm. takes a while to really be in this industry and, uh, manage patients' expectations and, um, you know, understand really what, what it is that we're doing. Um, you know, I think that's kind of an amateur, uh, mindset that we're just helping patients, you know, uh, look better. Well, it's a culture, it, right? Cause you're looking at these young Yeah, Cause if you kids. go into it with that, if you go into that, with that mindset, you're going to have potentially some unhappy patients, you know, cause mm-hmm. you know, objectively maybe they look better, but for whatever reason, you didn't connect about, you know, what the real reason is for wanting to make that change. 
and they may still be unhappy with their parents. I mean, there's there's books written about this. Look up psychocybernetics, um, and mm-hmm. and um, by Malcolm Maltz. And that this is you know a book actually written by a plastic surgeon in the 50s that identified that we really have to um, make sure that we engage with the patients about what their reason is for wanting to get plastic surgery. And it's not always just, you know, surface reasons. And if you don't get that right, then the patients potentially may not be happy with, with the outcome of the surgery. So it really is about helping them feel better, not always about helping them look better. Yeah, and sometimes and sometimes it's the same thing, but you know, not a hundred percent of the time. Yeah, well, a lot of it is the discernment of the patient. I think women going into this, going into getting implants, a, a big thing I always ask the girls that reach out to me is like, ask yourself why you're getting them, and then when you get that response, ask yourself why that, and then when you get that response, ask yourself why that. And after you've asked the why five times, you probably get down to the fact that you're not getting them for your own reasons, you know, this whole idea of like, I'm doing it for me. There's a deeper reason as to why we're altering our bodies in that way in such a permanent fashion. And with the potential of putting something in your body that you're aware can harm you, because I'm talking about the women that reach out to me that have heard my story that still know about it, that are like, I'm still thinking about it. Like if it's worth it. And And you're still going to have women that do that. Oh yeah. And I'm realizing through my conversations with them that, in the beginning, I really wanted to be soft about it and be that person that was very egalitarian and be like, you know what, you're going to do what's what's best for you. And, you know, I want, you know, you just to feel good about yourself, of course. Right now, I'm in a place where like, it's bullshit. Like I've had, t- I have too many women coming across my, you know, my DMs, my emails in real life, watching them deteriorate from this that I go, it's not even worth your health in one minute for you to, to go through that. And I, I don't care if that makes me somebody who's like a hard person to talk to about it or a bitch about it, because I, I obviously we all have a choice to make whatever decision we want. But if you, if we're sitting here as the testimonies, as the research that, you know, was never done or was never disclosed to people. And you have a generation of, of people believing these doctors that are out there saying that they're perfectly safe, that they're going to have no issues from them. And if they do, we'll just swap them out. And, you know, that's normal. It's like 10 years, whatever. And it's, it's well, you like, made a good point. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, I, I do want to, you know, come to the defense of, of my colleagues in a little yeah. bit of a, Please. in a little, in a, in a kind of particular way, because I don't think that, I honestly don't believe that there's any plastic surgeons out there that are, you know, are aware of um, the, you know, dangers of breast implants and are knowingly continuing to put them in because, you know, it's, it's profitable. I just don't believe that. You know, I think that there's, there's a lack of information. There's a lack of research. There's a lack of, um, yeah. You don't think it's a conscious decision not to know it? No, I really don't. I mean, I mean, I I can't speak for everybody, but I, I think, you know, just knowing the kind of consensus in the industry, it's just not something that um, has been well studied or well validated. And that's including, you know, from the top down, from the FDA down to, you know, our, our governing bodies, our mm-hmm. ASPS and, um, you know, down to the level of the physician. So I, I just think that, you know, there, there's just not sufficient information for many plastic surgeons to you know, yeah. justify stopping to do the surgery. You know, back to your original question, what, what really, you know, motivated me to continue to um, do explant surgery despite these challenges 
is that, um, you know, patients get better. I mean, that's, that's irrefutable. You know, we see patients, um, lots of patients have all kinds of symptoms that, um, you know, while objectively we don't have a lot of, uh, information to to show that they've gotten better, but, you know, at least subjectively, you know, they, they, they feel better, they get better, they look better. And that's the biggest argument that we're up against, I think, as a, as a body of what we're, of the women doing this, of the doctors is, is truthfully what you said is that if we're just going off the science, yeah, it's not there because a, it's not, well, it's not even that the science isn't there. There is science there, but the science that's there says that implants are safe for the most part. So that's and there, right. you know, there's, there's all kinds, you know, cause you know, that most plastic surgeons would tell you it's the most highly studied, you know, device on the marketplace. And, um, mm-hmm. It has been extensively researched and found to be, you know, not to cause any long-term adverse health effects. And so now that that information is just starting to change and people are yeah. starting to become more aware of the possibility of breast implant illness, but it's it's not mainstream yet. Yeah. And the independent doctors that were doing their own studies, like Dr. Pan, you know, obviously we know what that's happened true. to their studies and yeah. Well, that that's a good segue into um, what Dr. Pryor we were working with med students. I'd like to, mm. you know, and, and that, and for me 30 years ago to have been with a doctor and part of a study of 2000 women and have that doctor destroyed for speaking up. And then to be sitting here with this brave doctor who's doing another study. It's uh, you know, that, that word surreal is used a lot, but it goes full circle. Mm-hmm. So, um, That's the the divine timing of of this whole thing is that we're here for a time such as this, whereas we have this amazing ability to reach a vast amount of people going into um, this field of work that we can change that narrative around how we look at even the studies within to be able to um, help them navigate how, like what kind of doctor they're going to become and how to look at their patients. And yeah, let us know what you guys I mean, are working you on. You being a plastic surgeon, how would it help you, uh, the study that we're working on, how would it help you to have something like that in a peer um, published? Well, I think it helps the entire community. It would help obviously educate our prospective patients. So our individual patients to say, look, this is our research. This is what we've done. This dem- demonstrates you're not crazy, right? Um, you're yeah. not, ju- this is not just normal symptoms of getting older. You don't have some you know, chronic inflammatory condition that's, uh, you know, just going to get progressively worse as you mm-hmm. get older. Um, you know, you've got breast implant illness. This is the diagnosis. So, you know, right now we're, we're doing it based on a constellation of symptoms that are for the most part subjective because nobody's really been able to find an objective, you know, marker of breast implant illness. Yeah. So, you know, we're looking at a number of different um, inflammatory markers and also um, collecting data on the patients that we've done to try to objectify the diagnosis not only for our patients, but to hopefully help, you know, other prospective patients out there and other healthcare professionals to be just more aware of what breast implant illness is and how to make the diagnosis. Do you think that in your own opinion, I would say like the idea of calling it an illness, is that, would you say accurate or do you think it's going to evolve into something else when we find the data on how to correlate the exact, like, I wouldn't say the exact because well, every a good point. patient has a multitude of, of symptoms that looks differently in their body depending upon how their body reacts to them. But yeah, we were talking about it yeah, previously I mean, I, I think, being called disease. Right. Silicone yeah. adjuvant disease. That's what it's called. I think one of the main questions is, you know, how many women get 
breast implant illness that have implants. And that's, you know, highly unknown. Is it 5%? Is it 10%? Is it 50%? Mm-hmm. And, and that's, I think, where a lot of the, the problems are because, I mean, obviously, if there's a high percentage of patients that get breast implant illness, again, just to advocate for other surgeons, I don't think that we would be able to justify putting them in if we thought that there was a significant amount of right. risk uh, to the patient. Um, but if what, what's, is the risk 5%? I mean, is it just a small set, subset of patients that get breast implant illness? And in that case, is that something that should just be discussed with the patients along mm-hmm. with other potential risks like implant rupture and capsular contractures? Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think, you know, as we get more and more information and more data, I believe that there, there will be a subset of patients. No, I don't think it's going to be 100%. I think it'll be a, a, you know, a smaller subset of patients that, for whatever reason, develop breast implant illness. We think that there's a genetic predisposition. We think that it's related to uh, the way that their body responds to uh, this foreign material. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that you know, we'll discover that it is you know, a, a subset of patients that develop this you know, implant-related a constellation of symptoms to, to the, uh, to the silicone. Are you finding any pushback of any kind by doing like being an advocate for it or doing these studies, like, and talking to people in med school? Like, have you noticed anything? Yeah, not yet. No, not yet. I mean, I haven't been overly vocal about it. I've just been, you know, busy working and doing my thing and and helping patients. So, um, you know, we're just starting to, uh, I guess, get more publicity about it. Uh, because people are coming to me saying, this is, you know, really great what you're doing. We need to make sure that we, uh, you know, get the word out, so to speak. So I haven't really gotten a whole lot of pushback yet. I mean, obviously I'm well supported by, um, you know, the patients and the Mm -hmm. breast implant illness community. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it really has to be something that's going to be, you know, controversial among physicians and among surgeons. I mean, I I think there's, there's sufficient, uh, anecdotal information out there to support. And even, you know, our, our, our uh, societies are endorsing that there is something called breast implant illness. You know, so it's not that it's, um, you know, a totally fabricated disease anymore. I mean, people are acknowledging that it exists, but um, objectifying it and, you know, figuring out what the incidences of it and how to potentially minimize those risks are, I think, where I'm going with um, getting more involved in the research. Tell them how many People, I know, Laura, you tell me all the time, you're like, we have five girls coming in next, like the amount of numbers, like of the women coming in, the quantity of trying to, or uh, getting them out now, would you say that it's increasing for your practice? Yeah. I mean, I'm one of, uh, I think, you know, four main surgeons in the, you know, greater Chicagoland area that, you know, does any kind of high volume explant. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, with Laura working with me and just getting the word out and, you know, obviously just uh, the more patients that we do, the more word of mouth types of referrals that we get. So, um, you know, it's, it's becoming a, a larger and larger uh, sub-segment of my, of my practice. And, um, you know, unfortunately, these patients are, are sick and most of them, you know, want to get the surgery right away. And I'm only, you know, one person. One person, which and is why we're doing this, because if you can change one doctor's view on this whole thing, we can make it available to women who don't have to wait a year to have this happen. Because Laura and I talked before you came on about the symptoms seem to exacerbate when you know you're sick. And then from that time that you wait for your surgery, because it's like this heightened sense of like knowing you need to get them out, knowing you're 
you're physically sick and it's like you deteriorate at this rapid rate until you yeah, get the so surgery. And so that waiting process is, I yeah. got so lucky. He saw me in like four days, which was a miracle, but that, that's a great point. I hadn't months. even thought about that until you just mentioned it, but you know, the, the, even the process of going through uh, the, the planning for surgery is a stress, right? And mm-hmm. even as we know, any kind of stress on the body is going to potentially yeah. lead to, um, you know, immunosuppression, which could potentially exacerbate what's already happening mm-hmm. with, you know, breast implant illness. So I totally agree. I mean, the, the stress of going in for the consult and finally making the decision that you're going to get the implants out, yeah. um, I think could exacerbate the, the symptoms that you're already having. But it also is so key that you are somebody that understands them and sees them and hears them. And that is something that was invaluable in my doctor because it was the first person that said, you know what, Tamara, I believe you. And the rate at which I could feel myself already letting go of the crap I was holding on to about that I'm crazy and that I'm going to just go die in the corner here and lose everything that I've ever worked for and wanted for my life just to hear a doctor say. Yeah. And that's the first thing we do in this room actually is, uh, you know, Laura talks to them and we've got tissues right here because they've already been to, you know, numerous. Can you hand me one through there? (laughs) (laughs) They've been to physicians and specialists and, you know, had all kinds of diagnostic workups and tests and, you know, been told that there's nothing wrong with them or they've got, like I said, just some chronic inflammatory condition, chronic fatigue or fibromyalgia or, you know, pick your, pick your poison, so to speak. So to come in here and, um, you know, actually fill out like a questionnaire that says, you know, do you have these symptoms of breast implant illness? And, you know, lo and behold, they've got, you know, 90% or 100% of the symptoms. And then Laura comes in and says, you know, this, this is a diagnosis and we're going to be able to help you. I mean, they, they just start crying on the spot yeah. because that's the first time they've heard that and been validated. And then we have Dr. Pryor comes in and tells them they're, it's just a whole. Yeah. I can imagine that just being the most rewarding thing about it. I know it's a lot emotionally, Laura, for you. It's like every day you're going into this little battle, but it's also that sense of validation that nobody can get for themselves. I mean, as women, we have to just intrinsically and and intuitively know that we're making the right decision, but to be validated by a medical professional when for years we've been told that it's all in our head, I can't tell you how important that is in this whole journey. And um, it's integral to this whole thing. So as like I'm speaking on hundreds of thousands of women's behalf, we thank you for being one of those very brave and courageous and honorable people to be able to say that to us and to be able to walk this out with us because I do believe we are in a major battle against a an entity that's far bigger than any one of us understand. And especially as I, I begin to use my voice more, I see the pushback that is um, is happening and I won't stop uh, speaking about this. Laura has officially handed me a, a torch and lit the fire. So I'm in this. I really hope that um, anyone listening just knows they have advocates with them. You just have to uh, reach out. Someone will be out there. I want to give them an opportunity to find uh, you, Laura, and to find Dr. Pryor. So can you tell them... Um, verbally, I'll put it also in the, in the links below how to find you or Dr. Pryor's office and to be able to reach out to you. Sure. Our, our website is priorhealth.com. So P-R-Y-O-R-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. 
interestingly, we changed that from um, transformations, plastic surgery uh, to encompass more of the kind of wellness that we're doing now, um, all part of, you know, health and wellness, uh, rather than just focusing on, on the on the surgical aspect and certainly breast implant illness is part of that. So priorhealth.com and um, obviously Laura is a great resource. She, you know, talks with all of the patients um, from the time that they send an inquiry in to the time that they're, you know, completely recovered from surgery. So I just don't think that uh, there's many places that have an advocate like Laura that's able to, you know, really just connect with the patients and help them step-by-step step through the entire journey. Yeah. I hope also, that there's a lot of women that are going to step up and do what you're doing, Laura, because having a hand holder in the process or even just someone to say you're on the right track and um, is amazing. I, I wish I would have had that, but I had to walk through it to know that's who I want to be for women. You know, We also do have a Dr. Landon Pryor uh, BII explant support group too. And I'm the admin on that. So okay. that's something also if women would like to join and find out a little bit is more. Is that about on Pryor. Facebook or? Yeah. Facebook. Okay. Facebook. I'll put yeah. the link in there too. For that. I do want to say Say without it. getting oh here comes oh, the tears here we go get the tissues we, we almost made it through yeah, the whole, uh, interview through. without crying okay um when i met him two years ago and like he said he would go to these groups and kind of like uh i knew if i was ever going to advocate again this was the man i was going to advocate with so when i contacted him probably five months ago and i said i think i, I want to advocate again advocate again and he said i've been waiting for you and um i cannot be prouder of this man I mean, I am so unbelievable. He is, uh, he's genuine, you know, I mean, he's kind of going against the grain here and uh, he's saving women's lives. And I don't think he realizes that every once in a while, he's incredibly humble and the women tell him all the time, but um, you know, he's, uh, he's a hundred percent into this and in this, and I'm, I'm proud to be sitting next to him. And we're You're a game changer. Team, that's for sure. And we appreciate you and you're, doing something that's going to have um, long lasting effects for our generation. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's what we're here for. That's what we're doing it for. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate all. I appreciate that. And, but I think it's important too, you know, what you guys are doing because you know, this isn't going to change overnight and I can't do it alone. I don't have enough time in my, in, in my life to help all these patients. You've that got are titties to from, save over here. Right, <laughs> these hands got so, work to do. It, it, it really needs to be more about education, you know, research and education, because otherwise, um, you know, there's just not enough doctors that can help all these patients. That's a yeah. good point. Thank yeah. you so much, both of you, for being a part of this. I know we're going to have a lot more in our future with us. I can already sense it. we got a lot of work to do, but um, I just appreciate your time and your wisdom in this. And I will. Well, thank you, you for having this soon. platform. Oh my gosh. Well, it's been a pleasure. Likewise. Can't wait to talk to you guys soon and keep up the amazing work. You guys, thank you so much. We'll keep going. Thanks. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the show. We'd love to hear from you. So please rate and review this podcast and we'll catch you guys on the next episode of all day radio.